0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Good morning, everyone. As you can probably tell, but the topic of our lesson is In His Steps. And thank you, Cale, for the song selection and uh, Yelmer for your words at the communion table and Isaac for... uh, for your reading. Really appreciate it. So as many of you already know that our uh, theme for the coming year is becoming more like Jesus every day. Becoming more like Jesus every day. Now, when we were in the process of, uh, of developing that theme, four letters came to mind. WWJD. Now, for some of you, those letters mean something and for others, they don't. Now, if it doesn't mean anything to you, what would WWJD stands for What Would Jesus Do? And it's a personal motto that was very popular, and it resurfaced in the 1990s. Now, the, the motto was so popular, in fact, in the United States, that you could find it on just about anything. You probably still can. Bumper stickers, um, apparel, merchandise banners, toys, jewelry, uh, and the like. You can find it just about everywhere. Now, although it resurfaced and became popular, what would Jesus do in the 1990s? It originally became popular in the 1900s. And that's given, and giving credit to uh, Charles Monroe Sheldon. He's the author of In Jesus pardon me, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? Charles Monroe Sheldon. And I actually picked up a copy of that book. Mine doesn't look quite like the original, um, but I have that book. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that. Now, this book is a best-selling book. Would you care to guess how many copies or so? If you guessed 50 million, you'd be correct. Over 50 million copies sold, and this book is ranked as one of the best selling religious fiction books of all time. So that's why some people have heard of this What Would Jesus Do? Now, in this book, there are a number of different characters for those who've read the book. Some of the characters are Reverend Henry Maxwell, Edward Norman. Norman, uh, Daily News editor, Alexander Powers, railroad superintendent, and Rachel Winslow, talented choir singer, among many other characters in the book. Now, with these characters, I haven't finished the book. I'm just going to go ahead and be transparent on that. I've made it through the first six chapters of 31 chapters, but I plan to finish it. But what I've found and run across so far is that the characters are coming to the realization that they are deceived. That they're thinking that they are worshiping, but they're coming to find out that maybe, maybe I'm not worshiping as genuinely as I thought. And I think the scriptures kind of help us with that. In Matthew chapter six and verse 24, what these characters are coming to find out is that there's two masters. There's one that they thought they were serving, and then there's the one that they were actually serving. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Something I found ironic is you do not have a choice. As far as serving one of these masters. Pardon me. Pardon me. I miss miss said that. You don't have a choice as to whether you're going to have a master. You're going to have a master. But you're free to choose which master you're going to serve. You're free to choose which master. Now that's kind of like a play on terms, isn't it? You're free, but you're a slave. Now. I don't know about you, but mammon doesn't come up in my normal, everyday conversation. It it may may come up in yours, so I had to do a little bit of research on that that I plan to share with you. Now, regardless of which master you serve, it says that you're going to love and you're going to be loyal to that particular master. And that's what these characters in the book came to realize they also came to realize the scripture that's in Matthew chapter 15 and verse eight. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So do you see how you could worship one master thinking you're worshiping one master with your mouth and your lips, but your heart is worshiping the other master. That's what we're going to dig into. Now, Jesus actually uh, quotes this from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, where we find, Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. I want you to notice a theme. In worship, your heart has to be into it. Now, I know that the scripture says that we can be deceived by our heart, but also our heart, we're going to use it in a positive connotation where If you're genuinely worshiping, your heart is going to be into it. Your back is into it. Your members are into it, not just your lips, not just your lips. So I'm thinking if there is some deception, these lips can fool you into thinking that you're serving one God, but your heart's going to let you know which God you really serve. Now, I was trying to figure out why is it so important for your heart to be into it? I mean, we got a lot of body parts, we got a lot of organs, got liver, got lungs, I mean, we got a lot of other stuff. Why? Why the heart? But I think we have our answer. Jesus answers provides us with an answer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, where it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on the earth where moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I don't know about you. I, I try to protect my treasure. I got an alarm system. I try to protect my, my treasures. So you probably go to Great Lynch to protect your treasures, too. But we see here that there is a link between treasures and heart. Because remember, I was saying with your worship, your heart has to be into it. So that's that's where your treasure really is. Now, I did a little m- more digging on treasure. If you peel back the onion a little bit, did you know that some synonyms for treasure is idolized and worship? Did you know that? See, I didn't know that. I I went to public school. I did. Maybe they didn't cover. They didn't cover that. Maybe you knew that. But treasure is synonymous with idolize and worship. So if that's the case, so what we treasure, we worship and idolize. Think about that. That's kind of deep. If you idolize and worship something or someone Are they not your master? I would beg to say that they are. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore that light that is in you is darkness, how great Is that darkness? I have a few questions I want to run by you. Since we make choices with our eyes, like if you're taking a multiple choice test, you're going to pick A or B. So with your eyes, you're making some choices. Is it possible to worship with your eyes? If you can worship with your eyes, can you sin with your eyes? So if we can sin with our eyes, we can worship with our eyes. Keep that in mind. Question for you. You don't have to answer. Who do you worship with your eyes? It says here, no one can serve two masters. Matthew chapter six, verse 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and men. God and men. Now, like I said, uh, maybe the school you went to, mammon was a part of the regular uh, vocabulary in public school where I went. It wasn't, so I had to look that up. Mammon refers to confidence, wealth, and avarice. Adverice. Again, another term I was not familiar with. But what we mean by that is extreme greed for wealth or material gain. See, now, I think some of us fall short. We just focus in on just the wealth. No, but it also says material gain. Material gain can be a whole bunch of stuff. Let me give you an example. Followers, trying to get followers, trying to be an influencer. Anything that we're trying to gain in this world can fall into that category if we let it get out of hand. So in our book, What Would Jesus Do, the characters were really struggling with this because their everyday decisions serve man, wealth, gaining material, making material gains. Their everyday decisions. Now their mouth, remember what it said, the your lips and the, the mouth was over here serving Saying, I serve this God. But with everyday decisions that I make, I serve mammon. I'm increasing my wealth. Which one of those is most profitable? Which one's going to yield the most dividends? That's the decision. When really, that's not the filter that we should be using. So maybe you're like those characters. Maybe you struggle with determining which, which master you really serve. Now, Paul helps us. He gives us a test just in case. In Romans chapter six, beginning in verse 15. We find what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave? whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Paul emphasizes that just because we're under grace doesn't mean that we have liberty to sin or to serve sin. Now, being a slave of sin is consistent with serving men. Now, being obedient is consistent with serving God. Now, both masters... They're going to compensate you for your servitude. We see that if you serve sin, what you're going to get in return for that. You get death. Now, I don't I don't know that that doesn't seem like a good. That doesn't even seem like a reward to me, but to some it it may. And obedience leads to righteousness. So with this in mind, I wonder why would anyone in their right mind choose to serve sin? Now, I am awfully glad that we have a choice. I know I have to serve one of these two masters. I know that. You know that. I'm glad that I have the choice as to which master. I'm also glad that, let's say I make the wrong choice because I went after the shiny thing, but I changed my mind. And I say, I don't want to serve that master anymore. I want to serve this master. I'm glad that I have the choice. I can change masters. That's very, very important. I'm not the only one that's thankful. It seems like Paul is thankful too. Romans chapter six and verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have? Then in the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death. I don't know about you, but there are some things in my past that I'm not, I'm not proud of. You might be proud of all the stuff you've done. Um, but it's some things that I'm ashamed of and I'm glad you don't know. Um, And hopefully that shame will keep me from backsliding back into that life. Are you thankful that from what we read, you can change masters? If you pick the wrong one, you got an eraser on your pencil. You can erase that answer and pick B instead of C. Aren't you glad that you can do that? You have that liberty. So if you make the right choice, what awaits those... Who picked God to serve? I think we have our answer here in Romans. Romans chapter 6 and verse 22. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't know. I don't know if you were picking up on that. I'm I'm thinking gift kind of gave you a hint that that's the good choice or the correct answer. And then I don't know what death means to you, but it doesn't mean anything good to me. So that would be the wrong answer, I, I would think. But remember, we have a choice. We have a choice to make. I'm looking forward to this eternal life. I don't know about you. Now, I was asking the question, why in the world would somebody pick death over the gift and life? But I think I kept looking and I did see maybe an explanation. In Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24. A little bit of an explanation, it might not completely explain it, but I could kind of see why some people would choose B instead of C. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. So I'm thinking with the passing pleasures of sin. Now, I want you to pick up on some stuff. Passing pleasure. Passing. I want you to think temporary. Just for now. Maybe for the next five minutes or so. So basically, the real question is, do you want what's temporary or what's permanent? That's the real choice. Now, If you want what's temporary, I think the remember those two masters, that master will give it to you now. See, I think that's what's tempting. You can have it right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go through all of this. You don't have to do all that praying and stuff. Here's a crooked backdoor way to get it right now. You can have it now. So I think that's what's appealing. That's why some people would be willing to make that choice. Now, we know what it leads to because we read that, right? Does it lead to life? It leads to death. But they have that pleasure right now, though. I looked up this quote. I don't know if you heard it. Uh, But it's uh, all that glitters is not gold. All that glitters is not gold. Now, it seemed like Moses understood that with the choice that he made. And then also Paul makes a comparison for us as well in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So not only do I not get whatever it is now, I might have to wait a little bit to get it, but Paul is saying it's that little trinket is not worthy to be compared with what's waiting on you. You you can't even imagine what's waiting on you. So I I'm I think Paul's convinced me. I think I want to see what that eternal life and glory stuff is all about. Now, I think on the surface with these two choices, the way that the other master has it set up is, you can choose to suffer or pleasure, because remember we said passing pleasure. So you can have you can have some pleasure or suffering. To me, just on the on the surface, it seems like I'm gonna pick pleasure. I mean, I don't want to suffer. So I can see why some folks marked the wrong answer on that question. I can I can. It's starting to kind of come together for me now. Even Jesus had to make some choices. We heard that in our, in our reading. You would think that, hey, he's above all that. No, he had choices too. Some choices were presented to him as well. And really, what do we say that the title of our book is? What would Jesus do? I think we can do one better. We can find out what did he do? Not what would he do? What did he do? I think that's better. I don't know about you. so we see here in Matthew chapter 4 and beginning in verse 1, since it was read, I just want to bring a few things to your attention. Do you see that what his response was to Satan? When he was tempted, he responded with, it is written. It is written. Now, if you haven't read it, you don't know what's written. So it's important that you know what is written. And then not just that you know what's written, that you understand. It. And that you can apply it. See, because it seems like a time is coming where you're going to have to apply it. And he did. So that. I think is a few encounters here. That was his response with the first encounter. And he quoted, Jesus quoted scripture. And, and what, what really jumped out to me is I, there wasn't a New Testament for him to quote because he is the New Testament. But what that does is it emphasizes how important the Old Testament is. Because I think it's people of the mindset that the Old Testament is not that important. I beg the difference. I mean, we see the difference that it's making right now. And we see Jesus quoting the scripture. That's what we should do. We should know the scripture. Use the scripture. Quote the scripture. Now Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. So he humbled you. And allowed you to hunger. And fed you with manna. Which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know. That he might make you know that the ma- that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. I don't know if I can emphasize to you how important the word is. Do you see that it's life itself? Hmm. Again, we know that the enemy continued to. Attempt to tempt the Lord, but how did he respond? It is written. It is written now. I just want you to notice something else now that the enemy upped his game. Now, at first, he appealed to the physical hunger of Jesus, but he saw that didn't work. That didn't work, so he saw and he learned Jesus used scripture on him. He was like, I know the scripture too. Now, that's what I'd like to bring to your attention. If the enemy knows, The playbook, shouldn't you know the playbook? Or more important, more important, let's just say we're playing a game, but you don't know the rules of the game. The enemy knows the rules of the game. How are you gonna play if you don't even know the rules of the game? That's why it's important to know the scripture. Again, the enemy just goes ahead and just breaks it down. He said, what I really want, what it really comes down to. I don't know if you know this. I heard this somewhere. There's two masters. I'm one of them. And if you're going to serve me now, I'm going to give y'all this stuff. I got this shiny thing. If you're going to serve me now, if you just bow down to me right now, we can do away with all that. You don't have to suffer on the cross. You don't have to do any of that stuff. No suffering. I got the what did he say he had? He had the passing pleasure. I can give it to you right now. You can have it right now. I really just want you to worship me. Same thing we've been talking about. How does Jesus respond? He has a choice to make. He responds with the word. The same way that we should respond. Jesus responds Comes from I think it's first Samuel. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the ashtra and the from which from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. I'd like to draw something to your attention. Do you see that theme of heart? Your heart has to be into it. Your heart has to be into it. I don't think you can worship without your heart. I really don't. Now you may read your word and If that day hasn't come already, there's a day coming where maybe you want something that's not necessarily God's will for your life. And I like the way Elder Mark prays that if this isn't for me, keep it from me, keep keep it away from me. Don't give it to me. And God definitely has that uh, that knowledge, that discernment. So there's times there was a time when Jesus wanted something that wasn't God's will. And what I take away from that is even though God didn't answer the prayer he, the way he wanted, he still said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And he still was just as faithful as though the prayer was answered the way that he wanted it answered. Now, let's flip that over. How many times when God doesn't answer the prayer the way we want? Are we just as faithful? Are we just as committed? Or. Dude, maybe, maybe I'm going to take, take a little break from praying. Maybe I'm going to step back j- just a little bit. Like with my uncle who just passed. I, I definitely didn't want that. But I know that God's will is better than whatever my will is. So that was my takeaway from that. So using the scripture. First, I got to read the scripture. Understand the scripture. Apply the scripture. And use the scripture. We've been talking about this. What would Jesus do? And all this merchandise. And I was asking a question. Is there anything wrong with. it? Is there anything wrong with wearing the bracelet. Or the t-shirt. Or the bumper sticker. I would say in and of itself no. But I think we have some better options though. I think Glenn, Glenn Taylor gave us a a great uh, better option. He gave us a lesson on the armor of God. And I think wearing the armor of God, I think is, uh, and it talks about how effective it is. Ephesians chapter six and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. With which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Seems like when the enemy came, Jesus was definitely using that sword against him. He was getting sliced and sliced and sliced. No wonder he ran away. Praying always and having all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful. To this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. There's a lot that's expected of us. Remember, if we're going to worship, our heart has to be into it. And remember, it's not just lip service. And I like how we have an opportunity because you can say you love God. You can say with your lips. But it seems like hearing this great commandment, it seems like if you don't have the evidence to back up what it is you're saying with your lips, you're not truly worshiping. Remember the folks from the book, how they were deceived with their mouth. They were worshiping one master with their hands. They were worshiping another. What we see in scripture, we have an opportunity with our neighbor to truly worship, to really show that love that we have. That we're supposed to have that we say we have for God. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. So more is expected than just knowing what the Bible says. We actually are are to practice it. So we're, I know you've probably heard of practicing physicians. That's what we are. We're we're practicing the word. Now, I like how there is a promise. You're not just left out there by yourself. He promised to give us the Holy Spirit. So we have a choice of death or eternal life. We have some, a promise here that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. And all these things that the Holy Spirit is going to do, abide in us forever. Dwell with you. Be In you. I'm thinking that's pretty powerful because there's some times that I feel alone. Glad to know that the Holy Spirit is is with me. The helper. He won't leave us as orphans. This is all from John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. So I wonder, in addition to the Holy Spirit, in addition to the Holy Spirit, Is there anything else that God gives us to cope in some difficult times? We have the Holy Spirit. We have that promise. We have looking forward to eternal life. Is there anything else? The helper goes on to do all these things for us. Bring back his word to our remembrance. Strengthen us. Teach us. I think yesterday... With some of the training we had, no doubt the Holy Spirit was involved in. I mean, it was a teacher workshop. So I I would think that he had something to do with that, especially given the topic. But in addition to that, we have peace. And I heard that mentioned earlier. I think peace, I don't know how important peace is to you, but for me, peace is so important that sometimes I can't sleep at night. But I I tell you, instead of counting sheep, what I started doing is just thinking about the Lord. I'm like, oh, I have an opportunity to think about God. This is some time me and him can spend. And then the next thing I know, the enemy is, hey, you can just go ahead. Boom, you're out. (laughs) You're going to be thinking about him. (laughs) I don't need that. So I'm like, "Okay." So I realize that's how I can have peace. Anytime there's trouble, think about the Lord and what he's done. And we just saw the promise that the Holy Spirit is with us abiding in us, dwells in us. So there's a whole lot of things at our disposal that we're not even using. And if we don't read and study, we're not aware of it at all. All right, we're, we're reaching that, that point. <clears throat> the question was, what would Jesus do? I think we have it laid out as plainly as possible right here. I don't know. I mean, I tried to find the exact words where we're uh, because he says here, the father gave me commandment. So I do. We're asking what what would Jesus do? I think we got the answer as plainly as possible. Right. With that being said, I think there's only one thing left. You just have a choice to make. And it's an easy choice because not that many masters. Remember, we said it's only it's only two. So you have a choice to make. And we see in Joshua what choice. What choice he made says here. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in, which, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. title of the lesson in case you forgot it's in his steps question is are you going to walk in his steps or your own steps if you're going to walk in his steps that begins with accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior have you done that have you been baptized have you been faithful in your relationship with Christ do you need the prayers of the church If you fall into any of those categories and you're joining us online, please reach out to our elders. If you fall into one of those categories and you're here physically with us in the auditorium, please come forward, have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing the Song of Invitation. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com normanchurch.com